you know, I've talked about how hot it gets around here in the summertime. It's miserable. When I was younger and no one could afford to run their air conditioning, it sit out on someone's front porch. Most of the houses around here still have big front porches, or the old ones do, the kind you would live in at that point in your life. And you know the kind we still live in now. Get some cold beer and your guitar, and that was your life's purpose and your main occupation. And all the hippies had these wild dogs with a bandana around their neck, running around. You'd be sitting there playing, and they'd run up to you with their spitty tennis balls and their chewed-up frisbees and drop them at your feet and try to get you to throw it for them. You know, it's funny saying this, by the way. I mean, it suddenly occurs to me how little my life has changed over the over the course of it. I mean, this uh, also describes yesterday pretty well. Yesterday, back in the day, not too much difference around the Otis Brown neighborhood. I guess the main difference would be um, only that some of us have now been compelled to give up beer. But anyway... I remember I had this friend, he was a drummer, and he would, this was before people like played cajones and things like that, you know, and he would play a, a pizza box with brushes when we were sitting around jamming on the front porch, and the dogs would come up to him, drop off their version of their beer and guitars, and he'd say, go away, you're not going to train me, I'm untrainable by you time I thought it was kind of mean because anyone who knows me knows how much I love dogs. I guess I just wasn't quite ready to uh, embrace the virtue of staying wild and remaining untrainable. You know, I've talked about it on the podcast before, but, uh, you know, when I was younger, I was so eager to be useful, to be seen as somebody of value that I would often get taken advantage of, and I'd often become the the president of the local chapter of the unpaid handyman's union because I was so easily trained. I didn't understand yet the profound power of simply saying no. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm happy to help people out, you know. I don't need to get paid. I mean... If you're putting a new roof on your shop and you don't call me, I feel like I've done something wrong and I've slighted you somehow. But you know, it's also nice to get invited to the party afterward. I'm thinking about this, you know, today in terms of my school life. We're coming near the end of the semester. I just finished having what's going to be my last class of the semester with uh, my favorite class, the class I know the best, I guess. My students are posting graduation pictures and it's crazy because a lot of these students I've come to know only through Zoom. I, I, I don't know how tall they are. You know, like, I don't know. I, I, I've only seen their little Zoom picture. You know, their existence and value has been squashed down to a postage stamp size rectangle. It reminds me of that horrible expression we use, newly minted graduates. What does that mean, that we've, that we've made them all exactly the same through some sort of... Uh, you know, rigidly controlled manufacturing process. I don't really want to be a part of that. You know, I, I, I only want them to be what they want to be. I'm just trying to give them some tools for that. 
And then I also think about the way I get so caught up in the neurosis of the system. You know, they're all running around like, oh, I got to pass these finals and they're full of anxiety. And I just totally internalize their anxiety. And I'm thinking like, why, why do I need to do this? I've earned my degrees. I'm fully promoted. I could go trout fishing. And you know, I've been doing it a long time and I'm, I'm not doing it that well because what I really need to do is not let them train me to pick up that ball. And I'm not just saying this for my sake. I mean, what I really need to do is not only not let them train me to, to uh, jump into their crisis, I need to train them to see that the system manufactures this crisis for them to make them feel this way. And when they see that, they may, they may be able to avoid feeling this way and get better outcomes, even in the, even in the particular work that's in front of them right now. So we got to find some ways to help them diffuse that anxiety um, as a life skill and not, you know, falling into the trap of what they would call in the recovery industry, enabling their disease rather than supporting their recovery. So, you know, the most important thing I can do for them is unlearn those patterns um, and, uh, and get to a point where I can support them rather than, you know, perpetuating that cycle with them. You know, as with most of us, their lives will be driven by deadlines, but they don't need to regard the calendar as an emergency that dictates their self-worth to them. So I think for me anyway, it's necessary for me to understand that, hey, I feel anxious at this time of the year, or hey, I feel like I should do this during the holidays. Um, and I need to think about why I feel that way and the way my world tells me to feel that way. But I think it's also important to uh, unlearn that and to resist that and to uh, develop some sort of other model that keeps me from just doing the same thing wrong over and over again. Because, you know, in my life, I do too many things uh, over and over again in the same way, I guess I would say. And I'm not ever really interested in doing something again at the same way. You know, if you look at my Instagram, I, I put pictures of my guitars on there and built three Telecasters out of the same piece of lacewood for the top. They're all different, you know? They're all tailored to the personality of the player and to my whims as a builder. I don't want to do them the same way. When I build acoustic guitars, I don't build forms for them because I don't ever want to build the same guitar twice. I'm always trying to do it better. And of course, what better equals shifts around, you know, based on whatever I'm thinking about at the time. And that's good. You know, I get the same way with, with songs. When I, when we play the same song for too long, I sometimes run out of ideas for it and I start playing the same thing. I'm like, oh, that was good. I'm going to just try to play that same solo again. And it's over at that point. You need to change 
Because, you know, the tyranny of success can be more powerful than the tyranny of failure. You screw something up and you're like, oh, I'm going to get back and I'm going to do it again. And, and you will get a different outcome. But sometimes success tricks you into just riding it to the scene of the crash. And at a much, much more serious level, the institutions we're involved in try to train us in some things in that same kind of mostly gentle but relentless way that the dog tries to train you to pick up its spitty ball. Or the world trains you, you know, to feel your sense of personal space or you know, how loud to talk or any of the other subtle social you know, skills and cues that define how people respond to you in the world. And in that same kind of often nonverbal and, uh, and seemingly innocuous way, our institutions constantly tell us that we're on the bubble, that it's make or break, that we're on the verge of getting filtered out, that we're not quite up to snuff. And I think the best thing you can do for yourself as a human is to just try to unlearn the culture of inadequacy that you've internalized from walking through the world. You know, the world is not going to quit teaching my kid that if she doesn't get an A on the AP history exam, that she's not going to be able to retire and die on time. But we could certainly help her unlearn that after it teaches her that. And we can also help her resist it as she goes along, I hope. In every learning situation, there's an exchange, you know. You're, you're being asked to give something to that, and you're being offered something to get from that. And uh, I think it's important to learn which is which. You know, I mean, I'm ready to trade some dog spit on my picking hand to have a good relationship with dogs because I love dogs. That seems like a good deal. That's a, that's a good old-fashioned win-win. But I'm not ready to not build a guitar this semester to write an article nobody's going to read because I think I see the sign of the invisible hand of the intellectual labor market raising a hatchet above my head. And these forces are largely invisible, or at least they are after a certain point uh, in an academic career, and I think they're mostly invisible in the world. And I've said this before, but like since graduate school, nobody's ever told me what to write, what to teach, what to think, how to grade. And these are all things that, though I won't say I put them on myself because they're in the atmosphere, um, they're things that I can learn to identify in the atmosphere and not breathe them in. The struggle to unlearn all this stuff has not been easy for me, and I'm not saying that I'm good at it, but simply recognizing that uh, the world is often structured to be alienating has uh, been illuminating for me. 
You know, invisible structures of power articulate their expectations in largely invisible ways, or ways that take a little bit of, of learning to see and then unlearn. And, you know, this isn't just some sort of, uh, you know, English professor leftist rant. I mean, in the in an article about um, the future of business and the need to unlearn uh, past business models, the fairly conservative Harvard Business Review states, the problem isn't learning, it's unlearning. In every aspect of business, we are operating with mental models that have grown outdated or obsolete. From strategy to marketing to organization to leadership, to embrace the new logic of value creation, we have to unlearn the old one. It goes on to say, unlearning is not about forgetting. It is about the ability to choose an alternative mental model. And I think that that's a really essential thing. That's what I'm trying to teach my students, to uh, be able to choose an alternative mental model. I'm trying to choose alternative mental models because I need a new mental model. <laughs> And the most important step I can take in that direction is first to recognize the extent to which I've uh, internalized and unwittingly perpetuated those other uh, flawed and problematic models. If you want to get into a new type of thinking, you have to understand what got you to the type of thinking you're in. And uh, just because you change your attitude to it does not mean that you can uh, make it go away. You know, if you want to emancipate yourself from mental slavery, you have to understand that the same mechanism is going to struggle continuously to re-enslave you. And when I say you, I really mean me here. I mean, this is my struggle. I don't know if you're involved in this struggle or not, and I don't know if I'm uh, being useful to you in that struggle or not, but it's the struggle that I'm in. I guess what I'm saying, though, is that the world is like that dog with the ball. You may resist it training you, but you're not going to train it not to bring you that ball. I mean, maybe you'll train the particular dog, but there's always another one behind it. And again, I'm not talking about anything radical here. I'm just talking about uh, how you can have some control over and decide uh, which of the secret rules of the universe you want to respond to and which of them that you don't. You know, rather than just putting my head down and writing that article, I can ask myself what it costs me to build that guitar rather than writing that article. And the answer is it doesn't cost me anything professionally right now. And it probably doesn't even cost me any of the, you know, admiration or respect of my peers. I'll do that some other time, you know. It's just that, you know, from being in this system so long, I've internalized, um, you know, it's, it's values. The good ones and the bad ones. And, uh, you know, it's my struggle to sort them out. You know, I mean, ultimately, I hope and I think more and more people are recognizing that we need to get around to developing some 
new industries and new economies that function in different ways. We've, we've sort of like, you know, there's a line in a John Hyatt song. It, it's actually based on an Edward Albee play called The Sandbox. It's interesting, but, uh, but he talks about, the, the re, it's about a relationship, but he says we, we uh, brought it home and we drove it hard, but we wrecked it in our own backyard. And, and I feel like that's kind of the model for so many industries ideas and structures in our culture. It's like we've got this thing and we sort of got everything out of it that we can and now we got to do something else. And yet there's so much uh, learning and structure and reinforcement around the old ideas that we can't forget them or just move away from them. We have to self-consciously unlearn them, which is to say we have to understand how they're the blueprint for where we're going and that it's going to take us in the wrong direction. As Tom Waits sings about the people in the bar in his song Ninth and Hennepin, they all started out with bad directions. The reason they ended up in a bad place is because they started out with bad directions. So that's it. If we're going to get to a new place, we need a new map. Paradoxically, though, I think you can get there through some of the same activities. You know, I'm still sitting around on some of the same porches with some of the same people, some of us playing the same guitars, playing some of the same songs. Different dogs, I guess. That's kind of sad to think about. And I would imagine pretty much everyone has their own version of this, whatever kind of activity, you know, you've been involved in long-term. You know, the kind of thing that provides you with that rare opportunity to stop multitasking for a minute and to look back and, and think about like, okay, this is what we used to do. This is how we used to play. This is how we used to sound. It's an opportunity for me to measure, you know, where I have and haven't grown, not just as an instrumentalist, you know, but as a, as a human. And I guess, you know, I'm thinking mostly about uh, activities that you do with other people. And, uh, and also that old-fashioned analog face-to-face -face experience with people also might show you what you want from your life and what you need from your life. If you do that and you think, gosh, I'm missing human connections, as I do, then maybe you'll be more devoted to that in the future. I guess, you know, when you've done something for that long and it's been that important to you, it becomes a ritual. And I guess the, the definition of a ritual, to quote Victor Turner, the expert, is a, a stereotyped sequence of activities involving gestures, words, and objects performed in a sequestered place and designed to influence preternatural entities or forces on behalf of the actor's goals and interests. Okay, what does that mean? I guess it means you go to the front porch of somebody's house and you play some old murder ballads and cheating tunes and it focus your, focuses your spiritual energy on a better outcome for everyone who's there and for everyone they encounter who's not there. That's what I'm hoping it is for me. And I don't know if everyone thinks about it in these terms, but I bet all of us have our sacred space. And if you do, 
It's a place where you unlearn all of the stuff that loads you up with baggage in life and where you relearn something about who you're trying to be, who you were always trying to be. And you can keep going in that direction. Um, I don't know. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not in the advice business, but if that resonates with you, then uh, I hope it helps you out. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I'm grateful to you. And uh, I'll see you next week on the Internet. We're coming up on a one-year anniversary. I want to uh, celebrate that, by the way. Um, okay, so like, follow, and subscribe. Take care of each other, and I'll see you real soon.